0: This week in Retronauts, it's absolutely Fabiolus. Last week, we looked at the history of Rare. This time, I'd like to do more of a deep dive into one of the developer's more notable, yet simultaneously more forgotten, Creations, Wizards & Warriors for NES. As we mentioned last week, Rare was among the first Western developers to create games for Nintendo's NES, if not the first. In fact, the only possible Western game maker to have potentially beaten them to the punch was Atari's Tengen Division, which supposedly created a port of Gauntlet for NES early in 1987. This seems a little spurious given that Tengen's other releases for NES came much later, but in any case, Rare was right there with that presumed version of Gauntlet. Slalom debuted in the US in August of 1987, published by Nintendo, the first game designed in Britain for the NES. As a European game developer for NES, Rare stood more or less alone for quite a while. Even early ports of Western computer games, like Epic's Winter Games, were programmed for NES by Japanese studios such as Atelier Double. It took a while for Americans and Europeans to break into the NES market, and their work was often inferior to that of Japanese studios that had a 3-4 three- year head start on the system. That's what makes Wizards & Warriors so remarkable. Not only was it developed and published by Western companies, rare in acclaim in this case, it was also pretty good. Wizards & Warriors launched around the same time as Mega Man, and frankly it wasn't quite up to that standard but it definitely held its own against the earlier generation of NES platformers. Games like Rygar, Karnov, Atlantis no Nazo, or Medolo no Tsubasa. Like in those games, it felt a little rough around the edges. Controls were slightly slippery, collision detection imprecise, the balance downright lacking. And yet, it had a certain spark. Personality. Ambition. Wizards and Warriors tells the tale of Koros, a brave warrior, in his quest to defeat Malkil, an evil wizard. There are also a lot of mostly-naked, distressed damsels to be rescued along the way, along with an actual princess whom Malkilus captured for whatever reason evil wizards abduct young maidens. The adventure spans eight stages, as was more or less par for the course in the NES era, but Wizards and Warriors works a little differently than your average Mario-come-lately. Each of its stages abandon dull linearity in favor of a more free-roaming approach. Structurally, it had more in common with something like Konami's PlayChoice 10 exclusive The Goonies, or the MSX version of Castlevania, though it lacked any overarching time limitations or other factors to rush you along. In fact, Wizards & Warriors was bizarrely stress-free for a game of its vintage, allowing players infinite continues with practically no penalty for respawning right on the spot. This might seem at odds with Rare's penchant for brutally difficult game design as in Battletoads, but then, Wizards & Warriors was Rare in experimental mode. After five years of being top dog on the ZX Spectrum computer in the UK, Rare had to come to terms with a new platform with entirely new limitations and a wildly different set of consumer expectations and so Wizards & Warriors basically shows us Rare in a state of transition. The developer revisited comfortable familiar territory with this game. Thematically, Koros' quest seems like little more than a reprise of Saberman's journey through night lore. But at the same time, you'd never mistake this for a classic Spectrum game. Not just because it was far more colorful, but the entire ethos of the adventure stood apart. Wizards & Warriors played out through a side-scrolling perspective rather than an isometric point of view, with faster, more fluid controls it was simpler in its way, requiring more direct reflexes and less navigation of three-dimensional space. Still, underneath it all, Wizards & Warriors felt like an adventure. Despite its linear nature and overall brevity, the game required players to acquire a number of treasures that permanently boosted Koros' skill set, from the ability to levitate to a more powerful basic weapon. You could even snag a skill that allowed Koros to kick open treasure chests, saving you the trouble of hunting down the proper key. There were many powers of opportunity to be acquired along the way as well, temporary boosts like potions dropped randomly by enemies. Stages varied in complexity from the straightforward forest of the first stage to the maddening maze of hidden passages in the caverns further into the quest. Many of them had a strong element of verticality. The forest levels feel at times like a less hyperactive legend of Kage, and every stage boasts a variety of enemies. Now, it's no masterpiece. Koros has a weird way of getting about, and his floppy-footed approach to jumping makes for equally floppy platforming. Enemy placement tends to be cheap and arbitrary, especially in areas with extensive platform hopping. The infinite continue feature feels almost like a concession to the fact that the game would be nearly impossible to complete without that element of mercy. At the same time, it makes the scoring feature, which resets when you continue, feel almost completely vestigial. Still, all told, it makes for an interesting piece of NES history. The platform's most prolific developer finding its feet, learning the ropes, experimenting with a new format of game design, and a new audience. Wizards and Warriors clearly did pretty well for Acclaim and Rare, since the game saw three sequels. The two NES sequels, Iron Sword and Visions of Power, saw Rare digging ever deeper into the basic stylings of the NES platform. They were grander adventures, and eventually the third one turned out to be a full on Metroidvania thing. Rare adapted quite efficiently to the standards and policies of its platform choice. The series' lone portable outing, Wizards & Warriors X The Fortress of Fear, was pretty terrible. Thankfully, Wizards & Warriors 3 for NES came later and made for a much stronger finale for the series. Still, even The Fortress of Fear was remarkable. It was the first Western-developed Game Boy release, if not a particularly good one. In the grand scheme of things, Wizards & Warriors has largely been forgotten. In fact, the trademark eventually lapsed, and the title ended up with some totally unrelated PC RPG series. For NES fans and game historians, though, the series represents an important convergence between West and East, the moment at which the gulf between the American, British, and Japanese games industries at last found common ground. And it had pretty good music, too. For more fun facts about games you've probably forgotten, keep listening to Retronauts at retronauts.com and usgamer.net. This podcast is made possible by the support of listeners like you via patreon.com. And check us out on social media, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Tumblr, etc., where we're retronauts.